0: Hello, my name is Ken Forrest. I preach for the Boonville Church of Christ in Boonville, Mississippi. I'm going to be teaching the Wednesday night Bible class and very thankful that you're participating with us. If you're a member here and you've been following along in our lessons, you know that we've been striving to develop a servant mentality and looking at various aspects of what it is to be a servant. If you're visiting with us, I'm thankful that you're here, and I would encourage you to go back on our site and at least take a look at the last few lessons related to what it is to be a servant. Want to catch you up to speed so that these lessons work together. You know, in my own mind, I hope that they're standalone lessons, but generally speaking, I have an overall plan that I'm trying to work. So. If you can catch up with us, that, that would be terrific. Now here in the midst of our developing the servant mentality, we've started kind of a, a mini series within the series, looking at what's taught in Romans chapter 12. Because in that text, we have a description in full of what it is to be a living sacrifice. Last week, we talked specifically about being a living sacrifice. Tonight, we're going to do the hard work. We're going to do our very best to make an honest assessment of ourselves. Now, a few weeks ago, and I've mentioned this at least twice, a few weeks ago, I gave you a survey or at least an evaluation sheet, and you just kind of went through and checked off those things that you believe were active in your life now as a servant. It was a pretty good gauge, I think, of ascertaining where we are in our progress to full servanthood. I, I, of course, didn't take those up. It's for your personal assessment, just as this lesson will be. But here, we're going to begin part of the process of talking about those things that are going to be necessary to move us along in our development. And I want you to understand that being a servant is not really about checking off some elements on a list. Being the kind of servant that God wants us to be requires a wholesale change in our hearts. So it may be that some of those things that we were looking for in our survey are missing because there are some things missing in your spiritual development. And if that's true, being honest with ourselves, we just need, we need to become more aware or, or have it clearer in our minds as to what God's expecting of us or how it is that we ought to be progressing in our Christian walk, reflecting Jesus more and more every day. Tonight, as I mentioned, we're going to continue in Romans 12, and my plan is to go from verses 3 to 8 tonight in this honest assessment, I'm also going to use what I see as it's, it's pretty much a parallel text. Now, it doesn't read the same, but the message is the same. And that is from the book of Philippians chapter 2. So if you put one finger there at Romans chapter 12 and another finger at Philippians chapter 2, we'll kind of be going between those two texts as we make this Honest assessment. Before we start, let's have a prayer together and then we'll take a look at the scriptures. Our Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of this day and for the opportunity that you've given us once again to study your word. I pray that these studies are helping us to develop the servant mentality that we so much desire and that together. And I think that's the main takeaway tonight, that together as a body, all of us with our individual roles will be able to join together in unity to be the church that you need us to be, a serving, vibrant church here in the Boonville community. Thank you for your word and the power that it has, and I am absolutely convinced that that power will be effective in us tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, our general text is Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now in this text, we have kind of the next step in the realization of what we studied last week in the first two verses. And I want to just take a moment to remind us of the particulars by reading through that text slowly and just trying to emphasize, as I did as I closed in our lesson last week, the various elements to help us kind of solidify or ingrain in our minds what it is to be this living sacrifice. Paul says, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, The tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, not a dead, but a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's, It's what you should be doing. It's the right thing to do. And do not be conformed. Don't be made with the form of the world, but be transformed. Go through the metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or become the example of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, you know, if you you just stopped there at that text, you might get the idea, well, you know what? I, I need to take care of me. You know, I need to be intentional about the choices that I am making. I've got to be very careful that I don't become influenced by the world and that I work hard on changing my mind and developing my faith and becoming as much as I can, practically speaking, the child of God that he wants me to be. And you know what? That's the right attitude. And many times as we're beginning our Christian walk, that's how we think. We, we think about our own steps, whether or not we're progressing, um, what kind of choices we are making. We just kind of internalize a lot. But what we find in verses 3 through 8 is that, you know what? At some point, and I hope most of us have already gone through this, but at some point, we need to quit thinking so much about ourselves and think about the bigger picture to realize, wait a minute, there are other people here. (laughs) These people are trying to be intentional with their own lives just as I am trying to be. But that all of us, yeah, we're individuals, but us as individuals, we're trying to work together in order to accomplish something for the Lord. I am not you and you are not me. We don't have the same talents, we don't have the same resources. We don't have the same disposition. We have all sorts of different connections in life. And each one of us is, while, while on, on the basics, we're all adhering to the same truth, that the expression of that truth finds itself in a myriad of ways simply because of the environments that we find ourselves in circle of friends that we have, we, we branch out as a body simply because of all of the influences, the combined influences of every member of this congregation. And when we come back together as a body, when all of, when all of those connections are, are basically cut off for a moment and we internalize as a body... We also need to realize that all those influences, while, while the connection, literal connections to people aren't inside the building, that all those influences come to bear. So the talents that I have, the resources that I have, influenced by so many different things ought to be funneled together so that each one of us with all of this, all of this incredible potential can combine for a tremendous work in the Lord. Now, whether or not you've come through that, you realize your part, or the impact that your Christianity is having on the whole of the body, whether you've come to realize that or not, it certainly is important for us. We're going to develop this servant mentality that we begin to honestly assess ourselves, truly understand where we are kind of in the process of this. So tonight I wanna to do, to do three things from these two texts. I want us to assess ourselves for purposes of harmony. When I say harmony, I'm just talking about us getting along you know, not at war with each other. We're we're at peace, that idea. And then I want us to assess ourselves for purposes of unity, which is the next step. We're not just getting along, but we are combining. We are saying we are one. We're together. And then finally, the, well, the work that we're trying to do, assessing ourselves for purposes of service. Well, let's think about Harmony in the body, the, the idea of us getting along. Now, he said, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Let's stop right there for a second. Each one of us, and I can't say the amount to which it is prescribed for you, but each one of us has been given this measure of faith. There is a capacity in every single one of us. I'm not saying that all of us can preach or all of us can lead singing or all of us can, can be encouragers as visitors or we can get on the phone or write, or whatever it is that you do. I'm not saying that all of us can be equals in regard to that because I don't think that's what the text says. What the text is suggesting to us is that each of us as individuals are being blessed to the degree that God sees it necessary or uh, possible with us giving our various circumstances to be able to contribute to the whole. What we've got to put in our minds to begin with is that look, as different as I may be from somebody else in this congregation, I've gotta have the mentality that I wanna get along with them because we're working toward the same goal. Now, the other text that I wanna fold into this is Philippians chapter two. At verse one, Paul says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy Fulfill my joy by, and then I'm just going to put an ellipsis there for a moment. Paul says, you can fulfill my joy, but first of all, I want to know that there are certain things in place with you. I want to know that you understand that there is basically a a baseline, a fundamental um, bottom line in the church that must be met before you can ever go any further. Now, Ken, what do you mean by that? Well, what I'm saying is that in order for us to really reach our potential as a body, we all have to appreciate the fact that there, there has to be the right environment in this congregation. You know, they can't, there can't be bitterness and strife and undermining of one another and gossip and those sorts of things going on in the body. In order to be healthy, he said these particular things have to be in place. Now, as Paul was talking to the Philippian brethren, he is suggesting, I assume already that these things are in operation with you. If there is any, first of all, consolation in Christ. Now, the word consolation there comes from a word that is closely associated with the idea of the paraclete. Uh, We usually use that term when we talk about the Holy Spirit who is described as a comforter who is coming to the side of the apostles, as it were. One who's walking along with them and giving them assistance. And so when we think of comfort in Christ, consolation in Christ, we're thinking about that idea of the one who walks with us. Now, most often, We'll say, well, Jesus is with you. And and I know Hebrews 13 reminds us that, you know, he'll never leave us or forsake us. So we may boldly say, the Lord's my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, I I get that part. But when I look around me, right, I, I I don't see him physically here. So I have to have a strong mentality, first of all, that the Lord's with me. But I think it's more than that because Paul is saying, look, here is my expectation Of you that you as a body are going to have this consolation in Christ not just that I trust the Lord is with me but here's the next step of that that you as a follower of Jesus who embodies if you will the Spirit of Christ since that's you then I'm going to expect that in the body that we are with one another you get that idea he's with us through our brothers and our sisters. In Hebrews chapter 10, that was kind of the idea that the Hebrews writer was using to bring Christians back together in that setting. In verse 32, he says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Now there, he's saying, you know, this whole notion of leaving Christianity is kind of bogus. At least I think it ought to be, because if you'll remember, and not really too long ago, that we went through struggles together. And we ought to face this struggle the same way together. Because you will remember, he says, that way back when I endured struggles or our brethren endured struggles, or maybe even you did it as well, we all bonded together. We all were in it together. And so it should be now. When I think of consolation in Christ, that's what I think of. Not just that the Lord promises to be with me, but that my brothers and my sisters are with me. And then he extends that any comfort of love. Now it's actually a different Greek word right here, talking about the comforts, the the like love is a, you know, love is a warm blanket, that sort of idea. It's not just that it's running alongside of us, but that it just envelops us. So the idea of our relationship together is always wrapped up in love for one another. I see that in Acts chapter two. With the church initially, right? They just, they stayed together. Uh, you see that in verse 46 and other places where they're just, you know, they're going from place to place. Even in the temple, they're all together. They were one and they loved one another. And there are going to be times when, you know, we have spats, we're, we're human, but even in the midst of that, we don't have the sensibility of of that oneness, of that fellowship, so much so that even when we don't get along for a time that we always know we're going to get back together, that this is not going to be a long term problem. In Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty two says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now right there's there's some heavy language, isn't it? I'm going to forgive you like Jesus forgave me. Oh, let's do it the other way. How about Jesus forgives me like I forgive you? It all works hand in hand, you know. So let's be sure that we keep that that harmonious mentality. I just, you know, in spite of everything, even personality conflicts, I want to get along with you. So... Consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship in the Spirit. That, that, you know, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, is walking hand in hand with our baptism. So that signifies that spiritual uh, birth, that relationship that we have with God. I, I think in these terms about our sonship and in the book of, of Hebrews, you know, you have that description in chapter 8 verse 14 and following where he reminds us that you know for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are sons of God if you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba Father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God and if children and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ and indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, shall be revealed in us. And I love that word, us, right? Not thinking just internally, not just thinking about myself as an individual, but us, we're all in this together, even as sons of God, because we're all striving for the same thing. We're all being driven by the same truths. If any, he says, affection And mercy okay there it is and that's all about fellowship isn't it the affection that we have for one another and the mercies that we would extend to one another oh I want God's mercy for sure because I know how God can punish me at the very root of the definition for mercy is the sense that I'm not getting what I deserve well how about we show that to one another how about we show that kind of compassion for one another Ken, why would I do that? I'm standing on, fill in the blank, say whatever you want, but what's my main goal here? Well, the main goal is I'm part of a body. I want to see all the body saved, right? I want to see every member saved together and living and walking together forever and ever. We should love each member of our congregation to that degree, putting some of the petty things that distract us aside and striving for harmony with one another. A second thing that we should do is to assess ourselves for purposes of unity. Now, remember, that's what we're doing. We're going from the idea of harmony. That's getting along. Now we want to take it the next step because that's what Paul does in our text from Romans chapter 12. What we're going to do is we're going to take it the next step. We're going to become unified. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, right here is an illustration. I don't know if you noticed it initially, but he says, let's make a comparison. You have a physical body that's made up of lots of parts. Well, the church body is made up of lots of parts too. Those represent each part, every individual. Now, all the parts are not the same. You you know that. In fact, each one's very specific in its use, right? We don't have any duplicates. You say, well, now I've got this index finger and I've got this one. Well, yeah, but they don't replace one another, right? You lose one, that's gone. You don't, okay? They're not replacements for one another. They're individuals have very specific purposes. In fact, I'll tell you, I'm way more efficient and controlled with my right hand than I am with my left. That isn't to say I don't need my left hand. I do because it does certain things that even my right hand doesn't know how to do and vice versa. So we're reminded in this text that we're made up of many parts in our physical body. And just as we have those many parts, and I can't help but think of that Lever 2000 commercial For those of you who are younger, you may not remember that. But when I was growing up, there was a a soap called Lever 2000. And in that commercial, they talked about your 2,000 parts. Now, I don't know if we're made up of 2,000 parts or millions of parts. But the idea is still the same. Each part does its thing. Each part has a function. Looking over here at our other text, Philippians 2. Two at verse 2 he takes the if condition the thing that he expects to be happening in the body he takes that and he expands on it he says so if those things are in place here's what you do fulfill my joy in other words take what I am expecting and anticipating and just fill me with joy over it that this thing has gone to another level going to go from just harmony getting along to oneness, unity. He says, fulfill my joy by being, maybe you're not this yet, but you'd fulfill my joy by being this, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Almost every one of those things that he's talking about is us focused intently upon the same thing. Like-minded, same mind, having the same love, th- that's affection. I- I'm, you know, this, I'm passionate about this. So I have the mind for it, I think through it, and my heart's in it, I have passion for it. Being of one accord and one, one mind, kind of replicating where he started. That one accord right there, has al- it has always intrigued me because it, it paints such a beautiful picture. The word from which this phrase one accord comes literally means hearts that are beating in unison. Or you could say it is like, even though we have these many parts, we are in fact, kind of like in terms of our unity, kind of like a body that has one heart in it. And that heart's beating And we're all in unison. We're all together. We are are so in tune with one another. Our mind is so focused. Our heart is so passionate about it. All of us the same, directed toward the same purpose together, that it is like our hearts are beating together in it. Wow. I just, I love that image Because it reminds me, not just that we are one body, but that we are all in this together. We're striving for the same things. And God help us that we ever let petty things get in the way of our striving to work together to the glory of God. Listen, here's the problem. It is not to my glory. Say, Who is that preacher down there in, in Booneville? Boy, we need to pat him on the back for this great work that the church. Had. What? No, no, no! All those elders, the greatest elders in the body, and we just we adore them because they do this. Hey, I appreciate my elders. I appreciate the work I do, but I'm telling you, it is not to our glory. You say, "Well, I'm so mad because so and so they they were recognized." For being on this trip, or doing this thing, and I was in that. Why didn't they say something about me? Seriously? Would, would I let my own desire for a claim or a name mention or a pat on the back, would I let that honestly get in the way of the good work that God can do through all of us? Now, I'll tell you this, and and I Uh, Thanks to Brandt, I get the, the Boonville paper every week on a Thursday. I can't say that it's every week, but many times when I read through that newspaper, I see the names of members of this church. Or I go on Facebook and I see that one of our members or several of our members are being recognized for doing a tremendous work, you know, the job that they do, they just went above and beyond what most people do. You know what I think when that happens? I don't necessarily, and, and this, this is no slight on anybody, but I don't necessarily think, way to go, you. What I think is, what a blessing they are, to this church. They are a part of this congregation. And every time our community looks at one of the members of this body, they're looking at the body because we're all in it together. We are all united together in the same purpose. Not one of us is jumping ahead of the other. We are all in a pursuit of heaven together and the glory of almighty God. And then I want to extend this now. So we're talking about harmony and we're talking about unity, but our overriding concept is the idea of service. So I also want us to assess ourselves for purposes of service. So having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We saw earlier he was talking about the expression of faith. Same kind of idea. God has given you something to do. say, well, Ken, what did God give me to do? I don't know probably something I don't even know about you determine that right that's what we're doing we are assessing ourselves in this case for purposes of service you do the hard work you look at yourself and say what can i do you know well, what is it and it might not be your regular job for some people and i know I've caught some flack about <laughs> about teachers using their their uh, Uh, Skills for the work of the church, but I'm just telling you, if you're equipped for a certain thing, it may not be your normal job. Maybe it's something you're just interested in, but there is a passion that's in you. And he lists a few things here. He could have listed hundreds of things. But you see what the idea is? Whatever you can do, well, do that. I love it because it puts responsibility on us to really look deeply into who we are. And I think about the, the extension now of that idea in Philippians chapter 2. So he, he had said, if you're this, that's my baseline, then, you know, fulfill my joy by that oneness. Uh, you're going to Fulfill my joy by being light-minded, having the same love, being one accord one mind. Let nothing, nothing, be done through selfish ambition or... uh, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Whoa, there it is. Okay, who do I prefer? I prefer you Uh, who do you prefer well me others rest the body I'm I'm pushing you up and you're pushing everybody else up and me too and so we're all just kind of pushing one another up and here's the image that I like to get I, I just I think about a body that's together and united focused intently, got the same heart, got hearts beating in unison, that we are elevating one another all the way up to the throne of God. I mean, it's like we are are one another's absolute support system as we are walking through this life together. Oh man, you think about those people who've lived before you. Their lives have passed. They've gone on to their reward. But didn't the impact of their Christian life influence you? And doesn't it, doesn't it continue to influence you even now? That is, the, that is the effect of brothers and sisters just lifting up and thinking the good of one another. We are not a bunch of crabs. Now, we, we used to live down at the coast and... I just remember crabbing being described this way, and whether it's those little crabs that you can get along the Gulf, or man, you get on a boat and you go to Alaska, they all work the same way. Crabs have these little tiny brains, and for some reason that little tiny brain is only concerned with the crab itself. And here's something I understand is true. And if you're a crabber and you say, well, no, that's not right, then, then peace. But, but what, I've, what I've heard is that y- you, can, you can put crabs in an open container on the boat. Now it has to have pretty high sides depending on how many crabs you get. But you can put those crabs in that containment area without a lid on it. And here's the reason why. Because even though most of those crabs got those little brains, they might be... Once in a while, one of those Einstein crabs, you know, it's got the big brain and says, hey guys, you know what? I'm busting out of here. And so maybe he throws one of his claws up on the side and he grabs the rim. He starts to pull himself up. You know what the rest of the crabs will do? (laughs) They'll grab a hold of one of his other legs and pull him back down. Crabs are crabby, aren't they? I guess that's where you get the name. The sentiment, I don't want you to excel. I don't want you to achieve. We need to be like ants. You know, ants will sacrifice themselves to cross a river. They think of the good of the whole unit. Some of them will perish in the water, seeing to it that others survive. That's an incredible sense of, of oneness in the body. That actually is the mind that Jesus had for us. Still in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about that. So Jesus humbles himself, leaves heaven. He comes, he lives with us. He dies. He dies. But now God in response to that says, boy, amazing. I'm going to glorify you again. He, he, he lifts Jesus up. But, but who gets glorified in that? Jesus doesn't say, yeah, look here. No, it is all. It is all to the glory of God. Let me ask you something. To whose glory do you do what you do? You do it so you can get your name in the paper. You do it so somebody will pat you on the back or give you a fat check. Why do you do what you do? If we're going to become servants of God, like God wants us to be, then we're going to have to assess ourselves for this. That what we do and how we do it is not to our own glory, but it is to the glory of God. When we assess ourselves for purposes of harmony and unity and service, what we're really asking ourselves is, what kind of servant am I? And how well have I been able to put into practice the things that I know to do that are right? Let's have a prayer together and then we will be finished with our study. Our Father, we thank you for the time that we could be together to study. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless us with an awareness, not just a knowledge of the scriptures, but an awareness of where we are in a reflection of those scriptures. I pray that we are living sacrifices. I pray that we have begun to look around us and realize we're not in this alone, but together. That we'll harmonize with one another. We'll go further than that. We'll be united together. And that we will be the servants that you need us to be. And Lord, more than anything else, help us to bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.